Welcome to Salt and Light with Pastor Rodney Finch. Salt and Light is a radio outreach ministry of Calvary Chapel, Cary. Jesus, speak to me. Open your word and reveal your heart to me. Salt and Light is a series of verse-by-verse studies through the Bible, focusing on its practical application to our everyday lives. Salt and Light is recorded live at Calvary Chapel, Cary, in Apex, North Carolina. Stay tuned. At the end of the program, we will give you information on how to contact us, so be sure to have a pen and paper ready. Today, Pastor Rodney will be teaching from the book of Revelation, chapter 11, so grab your Bibles and follow along. Now with today's teaching, here's Pastor Rodney. Notice John was given a reed. A reed. What's that? Well, a reed was an instrument of measuring. It was approximately 10 feet long, and it was used as a walking stick. This reed was given to John as a measuring stick, or almost like a tape measure, where you would just take your tape measure and unroll it as a measuring stick. So the angel stood and said, rise and notice this, measure the temple of God, the altar, and those who worship there. And that's intriguing to me. We'll talk about it in just a few minutes. John is told to measure the temple, measure the altar, and measure those who worship there. Measure the temple. Now keep in mind, as I told you, We're in that third and final section called the Great Tribulation. John is told to measure the temple. We're in the tribulation. That presupposes that there's going to be a temple in Jerusalem built and that it's going to be erected and that it is going to be a functioning temple. Remember, it's during the tribulation. Keep in mind this third and final section. John measured a temple. Well, that presupposes that There is a temple. Now notice the reason that John is told to measure the temple for two reasons. Number one, measuring speaks of ownership. It speaks of ownership. It's like some couple of two years ago, we bought a house here in Apex and the surveyor gave us, you know, the plot and showed us on the plot of the land, you know, what boundaries were mine and what my neighbors were and basically, you know, what portion of the grass am I responsible to cut and what portion are they? And some of you guys have property and you get some property and, you know, you get, you know I've been to some of your homes. You've got beautiful property, many of you. And, you, you know, you'll, you'll say to me, hey, look out that window. You see the, 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 the blue tag on the tree way back there? Well, that's where our property is. And then way over there is, you see that other blue tag? Well, that's our property. And then right here and then right here, that marks off our property. So it speaks of the boundaries of the land. It wouldn't be the first time that someone was told to mark off some land or to survey the land or to measure for ownership. Zechariah chapter 2. Read that in your own time. Zechariah sees a man with a measuring line in his hand. And the city of Jerusalem is measured just prior to being judged. Ezekiel chapter 40, write that down, look it up in your own time. The temple of God is carefully measured with a reed. And then if you fast forward in the book of Revelation, chapter 21, 
we see the new Jerusalem is being measured. Now, God tells John to measure, which means that God is claiming the measured object as his for his use, either for blessings or for judgment. God's saying that temple, measure it, John, it's mine for my use, whether for blessings or for judgment. So measuring speaks of, number one, ownership, but also, number two, measuring speaks of the fact that God is evaluating the property. God is evaluating the property. Again, in Zechariah chapter 2, when the city of Jerusalem was measured, it was found to be spiritually lacking. The evaluation wasn't good. So John was told to measure the temple for the purpose of ownership and for the purpose of evaluation. John, measure the temple. Now, there are many scholars, listen, there are many scholars who believe that this temple that John is talking about is a spiritual, symbolic temple, speaking of the church. Oh, we know that Paul tells us that we are the temple of the living God that we are fitly framed together, we're all like stones, and we're pieced together in the right place that God chooses to fit us into this structure, into this house that is a a habitation for God, a house that is a place where where God can dwell, a house where there's a a place where the Spirit of God can live within us as as a body of believers. And and yes, we know that, that, that we are the temple of the living God, Paul tells us, and Peter tells us about this spiritual house fitly framed together where the Spirit of God lives and dwells within us. That is true. And so there are many scholars who believe that this temple that John is told to measure is a spiritual, symbolic temple or the church, they might tell you. I don't agree with that position. I think there is a lot of problems with that thought. I believe that what John is told to measure is not a spiritual, symbolic temple or symbolic for the church, I believe that John is talking about a physical temple in the city of Jerusalem that will be rebuilt in the future. John's talking about a tangible building, a temple. Now, you got to understand something here. In order to understand end times prophecy, it is vital that you understand this whole concept of the temple. I mean, we think a church, our church is basically in a business park. I mean, we took, uh, I don't know, I mean, 20,000 square feet of this building or whatever, and we've got a church. And for us, look, we don't care where we meet as long as we can meet. We don't care. We met in a two-car garage with a trailer attached to it seven years ago. Y'all remember that? Some of you heard the story. And after that, we met adjacent to a gas station. I kind of like that, though. People filled up their car, and they could come into church and get filled up. It worked. Oh, we don't care. But see, this whole idea of the temple and the presence of God in the temple, in the Jewish mind, is very important. In order for, in order for you to understand end times prophecy, you've got to understand this idea of the temple. Now, you might remember... Let's talk about the first temple. You might remember the first temple 
was built by Solomon. It was the man after God's own heart, David. And David said, God, I want to build you a temple. David said, it's not right that I should live in this really nice place, in this palace, in this really cool place. And God, you live in a tent. You live in a tabernacle. He says, God, I want to build you a temple. I want to build you a beautiful place like the place I have. And God said to David, no, David, you can't build me a house. Why? Because you're a man of war. David, you have bloody hands. He said, you can't build me a house. But God said, David, you can't build me a house. But guess what, David? What, God? I'll build you a house. What? Yeah, I'll build you a house. Now, understand something. When God said to David, David, I'm going to build you a house, he wasn't talking about a physical structure. He wasn't talking about a palace. He was talking about a dynasty. He was talking about a lineage, a line of people that would exist forever and ever and ever and ever. God says, David, you can't build me a house, but I'll build you a dynasty. And he did, because we know that Jesus came from the line of David. And every person who puts their faith and their trust in Jesus links up into that lineage. And every Christian forever and ever and ever is of the line, the dynasty of David. So God says, David, you can't build me a house. I'll build you one. Now, what does that tell us? Just as a side note here, just as a side note, God said, David, no. But God said, David, I'm going to close that door. No. But David, I got something better for you. In other words, listen, when God closes one door, he will open another one. Better than you could have ever dreamed. Isn't that great? Now, now listen, God says this here. I have a plan for you. I want to give you a future. I want to give you a hope. My plans for you are good, God says, and they're not evil. So you might be here this morning, and I don't know why God is closing the doors every time I turn over here and the door is shut, and I, I go there and the door is shut, and I go there and bam, the door slams in my face. God, what's up? Well, what's up is that God has a plan for you, and it's better than the plan that you can think of. I mean, think about David for a second. Just think this through for a second. Could, I mean, was David thinking, I don't think so. God, I'm going to build you a temple. I'm going to build you a palace. And David's thinking, you know, if I build God a palace, then he'll build me a dynasty. No. David said, God, I just want to build you a house because I love you. God, I want to build you a house because you are God, because you deserve the best. And, and I'm living in this nice place. God, you're living in a shack. You got a tabernacle, a tent you can just take down and throw it up. It's filthy, it's dirty, it's stinky. I'm going to build you a nice place. That's all. And God, because I want to do that because I love you. He wasn't thinking, God, I'm going to do that because I think that you're going to build me a dynasty. No, he was just doing it because he loved God. And God said, because you're doing that, because you love me, I'm going to open up a door for you. And I'm going to bless you in ways that you can never dream. David never have dreamt. He was just a shepherd boy out in the field doing the shepherd thing. 
That's all David was doing. Was God called him to do? That's all. And God said, now I'm going to bless you. David, you can't build me a house, but I'm going to build you a house. I'm going to build you a dynasty. We know that Solomon built the first temple in 1050 B.C. 1050 B.C. The first temple was built by Solomon in Jerusalem on Mount Moriah. And then almost 500 years later, in 586 B.C., the Babylonians came swooping down, you know, and destroyed the temple, and they destroyed the city of Jerusalem, and they carried the people of God into captivity for 70 years. And after 70 years expired, they were allowed to go back into the land and to rebuild their temple, and they did that under the leadership of Zerubbabel. Zerubbabel built the second, say that three times, Zerubbabel Zerubbabel built the second temple in 536 BC. Now, which brings us to the third temple. Scholars debate whether there really was a third temple. I believe and consider Herod's temple to be the third temple. The reason being, remember, the second temple wasn't destroyed. Herod came into position and he built on to that temple. And many scholars believe, and I agree, that that is a third temple. And the reason why I say that, because it was so huge. It was so magnificent. It was unbelievable. It took him two decades just to finish it. Herod. Took him two decades, 20 years just to finish it. It was beautiful. It was ornate. It was huge. He went into this huge building project, expansion project in 20 BC. And Herod spared no expense on on this remodeling job. It was incredibly elaborate. Many call that the third temple. That temple was destroyed in AD 70 by the Roman general Titus. It is in that temple that Jesus prophesied and he said in Matthew 24, verse 2, he said, do you not see all these things? Assuredly, I say to you, not one stone shall be left upon another that shall not be thrown down. Jesus said that in that temple. It was less than 40 years. The Roman general Titus And his soldiers came rushing into Jerusalem and they ransacked the temple. And one of Titus' men, against Titus' orders, took a torch and he threw it into the temple and burned the temple. And the temple was so elaborate, they had so much gold on the walls and on the door frames that when the the fire went into the temple, the, the walls and the gold began to melt. And the gold began to melt between the cracks of the stones. And you guessed it. The soldiers took the temple down stone by stone to scrape the gold, to get the gold. Thus fulfilling the prophecy that Jesus made 40 years earlier, not one stone shall be left upon another, just like Jesus said. And when those soldiers took down that temple stone by stone, guess what? There has never been a temple in Jerusalem since even to today. That's why there's no temple in Jerusalem, even to the day. Now, in the 600s, something awful happened. It was terrible. Because the Muslims, they built a mosque 
on the old temple site. It's called, if you're taking notes, the Mosque of Omar or the Dome of the Rock Mosque. The Muslims built that. The Dome of the Rock Mosque is built over a rock that they claim was the rock that the holies of holies in, Jew, in, in the Jewish temple sat on. The Muslims claim this is the place. This is the place also where Muslims believe that Muhammad ascended into heaven from that place. Now, in 1967, we have the Six-Day War. Israel regained control of Jerusalem. But it's an interesting thing because Although Israel regained control of Jerusalem, the Temple Mount was given back to the Muslims. We don't know why. No one knows why. Moshe Dayan gave the Temple back, the Temple Mount, back to the Muslims. No one knows why he didn't maintain control of it and thus be able to quietly, peaceably build their temple. And so even today, the Muslims control the Temple Mount. Now, I've been there twice. And it's interesting because when you ascend the Temple Mount, matter of fact, put that picture up for me, would you, would you Brian? There you go. That's a picture I took when I was there in uh, in uh, Israel, in Jerusalem. And prior to, you see where all those people are, prior to uh, this location, there's like, uh, you know, like at the airport where they have the checkpoint where you got to go through and put your bags through, take your laptop out, you know, take your, take your clothes off. I mean, it's, it's, unbelie it's unbelievable how they check you. <laughs> it's like, okay. <laughs> Mommy of Philly, you know, I'm just like, okay. <laughs> you know, so, well, they kind of do the same thing there, Prior to going up to the Temple Mount, and if you have with you, say, I had a Bible in my backpack, and uh, they don't allow Bibles up on the Temple Mount there. They don't allow Bibles. They don't allow anything Christian. If you have a Bible in your backpack, they took my Bible out. They kept it. They said I could pick it up on my way down. You cannot take a Bible up on the Temple Mount. You cannot wear a Christian T-shirt. You cannot, the day that you're going, you're going to do your tour and you're going to go to the Temple Mount, they tell you that day to please dress appropriately and don't bring this and don't bring that and wear this and wear that. You need to wear long pants. Uh, ladies, they prefer you to wear something on your head. They prefer, they don't really force that. But when you're going through that checkpoint, they check you for weapons, of course, and that kind of thing. And when you ascend those steps, it is a very, very, very evil feeling at the top. It was the same feeling I said to a couple pastors of mine, friends, I said, I said, do you feel that? And they said, yeah, man. It was the same feeling that I felt when I landed at Narita Airport in Japan. You know, they worship the dead in that country. And it's a very evil, demonic feeling in the air, so thick you can cut it with a knife. And I felt the same thing there on the Temple Mount. So the Muslims, they occupied, they control it. The very intense, very evil feeling. Now we know that on this temple mount, there will be another temple. Some call it the tribulation temple. During the tribulation, there will be a fourth temple built. Now, Jesus, Paul, 
and Daniel all talk about the temple and the abomination of desolation. Jesus said in Matthew chapter 24, before his coming, that they would see the abomination of desolation spoken by Daniel the prophet in the holy temple. The abomination of desolation, Paul talked about it in 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, if you're taking notes, read it in your own time. Daniel chapter 9 tells us that the Antichrist will break his covenant with the Jews and bring a sacrifice and an offering to to an end. And then he will defile the temple by worshiping an idol in there. What is the abomination of desolation? Actually, you could think of it like this, the abomination which causes desolation. Because the Antichrist in the middle of the tribulation will set up an image, an idol in the temple. Now, in the Jewish mind, this is the ultimate blasphemy to set up an idol in the temple and demand to be worshipped. That's the abomination of desolation that Jesus and Paul and Daniel talks about. Now, in order for there to be an idol set up in the temple during the tribulation period, Jesus said, as a matter of fact, when you see that happen, he says, flee to the mountain of Petra. Don't stop to get your luggage. Don't stop to get your stuff. Get away because the Antichrist is then going to begin to persecute the Jews. So in order for there to be an abomination which causes desolation in the temple, there must be a temple. So during the tribulation period, there will be a temple. Revelation here talks about this temple during the tribulation. Actually, there'll even be a fifth temple, by the way. There'll be a fifth temple built after the tribulation temple. The tribulation temple will be destroyed when Jesus comes back because it will be defiled. This fifth temple that is described in Ezekiel is the millennial temple. And this temple... Jesus will oversee and Jesus will rule and reign and be involved in Jerusalem. Now, when you're in Jerusalem, it's very interesting in the old city of Jerusalem, which, by the way, in the old city or the Jewish quarter, it is incredibly clean. That's one thing that kind of struck me. It's incredible. It's like so fresh and so clean. (laughs) I just walked through there and I'm like, I felt like a easy breezy. It's fresh and clean. It's really, really unusually clean. And when you're in the Jewish quarter and and you talk to Orthodox Jews, now you got to talk to Orthodox Jews. Don't talk to just any Jew because some of them don't even care. But if you ask an Orthodox Jew, how will you know the Messiah? You know what he'll tell you? He'll say the one who helps us to rebuild our temple I I did that, as a matter of fact, because I heard about this a lot from pastors saying, you know, oh, when you get to Jerusalem, you're going to ask them how, you know, how are you going to know the Messiah? And I've heard pastors saying this a lot. So when I got to Israel, I asked somebody. I walked in this one store and, you know, where they sell the stuff. And I'm like, hey, how will you know the Messiah? The one who helps us to rebuild our temple. They are looking forward to the temple being rebuilt, and there is even a very strong movement of people in Israel today to rebuild the temple there on the Temple Mount. And if you take a trip to Israel, you can go to the Temple Institute. 
And there in the Temple Institute, in the Jewish quarter, they, they've got all kinds of materials already ready. You know, on the high priest, the breastplate that the high priest would use to sacrifice and to perform the priestly duties. They've got those stones that are on the breastplate already ready and sanctified, waiting to rebuild the temple and get back to sacrifice, temple sacrifice. Very interesting. They have all the cedar wood they need to build the temple. They are ready. There in the Temple Institute, you can see that they have, you know, all the artifacts that are necessary. They even have two yeshivas. Those are schools for Jewish boys with the last name Cohen. Cohen means priest. And they've got two schools that they, if your last name is Cohen, you go to this school, you're learning how to perform the priestly duties so that they can begin the animal sacrifice again. 60% of all the instruments that are needed for the temple worship, according to the Old Testament regulations, are in place. You have been listening to Salt and Light, a radio outreach ministry of Pastor Rodney Finch in Calvary Chapel, Cary, located in Apex, North Carolina. Join Pastor Rodney Monday through Friday at this same time. For information regarding service times, you can contact us at 1-800-293-0923. That's 1-800-293-0923. Or you may listen to today's broadcast in its entirety by visiting the Media Library on our website at cccarry.org. We would like to thank you for tuning in to Salt and Light and pray that you have been blessed. Until next time, may you be salt and light.